Yo, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 157. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, thanking each and every one of you all for joining me for another week of shows, man. And we've got a really, really fun episode this week. Obviously, the NBA playoffs are here, and that's exactly where we're going to focus the majority of this show on, including... This play-in format, man, it has dominated the 2020 restart, the bubble, if you will. And it's been exciting. I can't lie. But I'm not so certain that as is, I want the NBA to continue forward with this idea. All right? Maybe some tweaks. And I'll get to that in our second quarter this week. All of that. Plus, Alex Smith is about to do the unthinkable, truly. And he should be congratulated for the path and his journey to this day. But is there any adults in the room? That's a question that I think all of us have been asking for a lot of different sports topics over the past five months. But this is just the latest in a long list of questionable decisions. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. I want to make sure I get this perfectly clear. Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the best, and when I say best, I mean top one, top two, top three players in this league, and he has been a phenomenal NBA player for the last four years. In fact, I want to say it was like around the 15th episode of this show, I was out here screaming as high, as loud as I could that we are looking at the future of the NBA. And while his game has improved and while I think that the Milwaukee Bucks before the, the the shutdown and the restart, they were the prohibited favorites to win a championship. And while I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are probably still, I don't, I don't know if favorite is the right way, but they're in a group of three teams that probably have a better shot than anyone else to win. And that Giannis absolutely should be the back-to-back league MVP. And I'm a huge fan of his game, and I like what he represents. I like that you can list a hundred things about Giannis Antetokounmpo, and about 97 of them I would love. But there's this one thing that is starting with Giannis that got me thinking this. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your motherfucking ass down, Joe. Like, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And everybody swears they want to be king. Everybody, no matter what uh, industry, no matter where we're talking about, right, social circles, whatever the case may be, so many set their sights on the top of the mountain. And I understand that for, for, you know, for a large number of people. The world is filled with type A personalities. I'm not a type A personality. You understand? I'd much rather just kind of lay back, do my thing away from everybody else. I don't really like, I don't need the spotlight. And a lot of players, I think Kawhi is a perfect example of a player who was like, dog, y'all do you. I'm going to do me. I was in San Antonio, won a chip. I then went to fucking Toronto, won a chip. Now I'm in LA, cool. But I'm fucking, I'm playing with the Clippers, bro. Like, y'all do you over there, I'm going to do me, 
and I'm cool, right? And I think that was an endearing, that's an endearing quality about Kawhi. And I think it's an endearing quality about Giannis. But Giannis, and I don't know if push is the right way, right? You can be the best player, but can't necessarily be the face of, I mean, there are examples of players being the best player on a team and not necessarily being the face of the franchise. Obviously, Giannis is the face of the Milwaukee Bucks organization. But I don't know if Giannis is ready or has the DNA to be the face of the NBA. And what do I mean by that? At the first sign, like, again, before the restart, the Milwaukee Bucks were the prohibited favorite. Like, there was... I would have taken damn near any bet. In fact, I would have taken every bet that Milwaukee would have come out of the East before the shutdown. I'm not too confident on that now. While I think they may be the slight favorite, Toronto really worries me when it comes to Milwaukee. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if Milwaukee is the prohibited favorite to come out of the East. But before the restart, I would have been like, dog, I would have bet a lot of money that they win the whole damn thing. And I'm definitely not taking that bet now. And I think there is a certain amount of pressure to not only win, but to also be the quote unquote man. And you're seeing it play out in real time with Giannis. And if you, it is not just during the bubble. It's been like this throughout this season. Right. And I'm gonna give you specific examples. Obviously, what I'm talking about, this whole this whole thing starts off with the Milwaukee Bucks playing the fucking Washington Wizards. So at the time, they didn't win, they hadn't won a a, a bubble game, they hadn't won a, a scrimmage bubble game yet. Right? They were all eyeing going over for the bubble. And Giannis, the reigning league MVP, the probable back-to-back league MVP on the title contending. Best team in the league, Milwaukee Bucks. This dude throws a headbutt at, of all players, Mo Wagner? Mo motherfucking Wagner. Dead ass. And I live right outside of D.C. Living. Mo Wagner, and this is like a 6'10 dude. Mo Wagner can walk down the street. And you just because he's so tall, you'll be like, oh, he must play in the league. There's not a soul on this. There's not a soul around me who will be able to identify, oh, shit, that's Mo Wagner. In fact, even with the aid of being 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet, I could probably line up about 50 athletes in D.C. professional sports who people would be able to identify before Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner is an irritant, okay, but he's fucking Mo Wagner. And you are the, the face of the league in, in many circles. People are billing you as the guy. You are the league, reigning league MVP, probable back-to-back MVP. And you are throwing a headbutt and a bubble versus the Wizards and Mo Wagner Two games before the playoff starts? Dog, what the fuck is that? I'm not really, I'm not, I like to think that I'm more times than not a measured individual, 
right? A measured voice when it comes to sports. I like to think of myself that way. And I like to also think that you all who listen to this pod, you know, I don't really get into histrionics like that. I try to, again, have a measured voice. But when I saw Giannis throw a headbutt, literally on the eve of the playoffs, I was thinking, okay, Slim, what is happening? What's going on? To throw a headbutt in a basketball game, to throw a headbutt just in general, is just such an odd maneuver, right? Like, dog, if you want some Jason Statham, like, dog, I have a huge, my, like, my head is big, dog. I have, like, a cranium, like, for real. I'm not going to lie. I have thrown a headbutt in a fight before, but we talking about, like, a, a scrap. You understand what I'm saying? And I do it because it's just so unorthodox. I've done it, like, twice. And, like, nobody will ever see it coming. And if you scrap it with somebody, you will buck. That's the easy way to bust somebody's nose up, right? So you do it in a scrap, but even when you're about to do it, there's like the little two, like, you know, like the, the demon and an angel on your shoulders. And the demon is like, yeah, yeah, throw the headbutt. And the, and the angel's like, dog, uh, a headbutt? Throw a punch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, throw an elbow, something, a headbutt. Like, you got to really get yourself in the mood or in the zone to throw a head because it's just nuts. Like, who does that? That's in a fight. Like, if I'm scrapped, you know what I'm saying? The only times I've done it again, twice, in a scrap. One was, like, in like outside of a... You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like, whatever. You win a basketball game. Think of the players in the league, knowingly, who have thrown a headbutt. We got John Starks. God bless him. I love him. John Starks is one of my favorite all-time players in the league. But he's John Starks. You understand? Like, and I mean that with the utmost respect. John Starks turned himself into a sixth man of the year. He was an all-star. But before he was any of those things, as a as like a 20-year-old adult, or in his 20s, I say he wasn't 20 years old, but in his 20s, he was bagging groceries, dog. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so this and when I and I say that not to like make fun of anybody bagging groceries. I'm not saying that at all. But I understand, like. For someone to start there and then to, to work their way up and to be a, in New York City, like that means like he was scrapping, scratching, clawing for real. Like that's a scrappy type of person. You know what I mean? Like he had butts Reggie Miller. At that time, you know, John Starks was a fun loving, you know, he was a, 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 you know, eccentric, erratic player. But he wasn't, like, ever with the star billing. He's always like, dog, I'm literally one bad season away from going back to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, he never, at that point when he had butted Reggie Miller, it was never on some, dog, I made it. No one would have ever thought John Starks was the face of the Knicks, let alone of the league. And Reggie Miller is a Hall of Famer. You understand what I'm saying? So, like, Michael Jordan choked Reggie Miller. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it'd be one thing if, like, John Starks is doing that to Hayward Workman. You know what I mean? Dog, you do it to Reggie Miller. Like, there's no escaping Reggie. And Reggie, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. You understand? And then the other person who I've seen throw a headbutt was Dennis Rodman. All right? And... I don't think I really have to go too far into kind of like the warped, 
personality of Dennis Rodman. So my whole point is, again, Rodman, another guy who scratched, clawed, bit, did whatever he had to do to get to his level of fame, stardom, and again, Hall of Fame player. But he had but, like, he was, it was you know what I'm saying? Like, this Dennis Rodman. No, none of these guys, John Starks, Dennis Rodman, came close to an MVP, let alone back-to-back. You understand what I'm saying? For Giannis to throw a headbutt, and to throw a headbutt at Mo Wagner, right before the playoffs, is such a careless, just thoughtless action that goes completely against the first few seasons that what we saw from Giannis. It really starts to make me wonder. Now, you could be out there listening to this pod right now. Maybe you're in the car. Maybe you're working out. Maybe you're cooking breakfast. You know, you got the drink playing off, whatever. And you're like, all right, Armand, you're tripping a little bit, right? It's a one-off. That's the thing. If this was just the one time that Giannis went at someone, especially someone like Wagner, okay, then I'd be like, all right, everybody have a bad day. He away from his family. He got a new, you know, he got a little man, I want to say. A child, a young child. Dog, you just caught him probably. Wagner is obviously an irritant. Okay? He just he just lost it. It's, it's dangerous that he did it so close to the playoffs. And he's lucky. He's very fortunate that he only had a one-game suspension. Okay? But whatever. If it was just a one-off, boom. Right? Everybody has, everybody makes mistakes. But it ain't just the one-off, though. That's the thing. It's not just the one. I want to say like the second game in the bubble. And I forget who it was. I wish I, I remembered who the team was, who the player was. But Giannis was fouled. And then Giannis looks at the referees like, yo, you better get him. I'm going to fuck him up. First off, why are you telling that to the ref? Secondly, dog, when did you become motherfucking, you know what I'm saying, Rick Mahorn? When did you become Charles Oakley? Like, look at the players who are billed as the enforcers, right? The Mahorns, the Oaks. You know, may, I, and I'll give you Barkley. Barkley had that in him too. So, you know what? Maybe, again, maybe I'm tripping. But by and large, the players who act like that, they're not the face of the damn league. They're not the MVP. But again, Barkley did it. Right, Barkley was a dude who would get physical with you and would talk a lot. Right, so then boom, maybe I'm overreacting, but then I start thinking. He did it earlier this season too, ran his mouth, doing elbows, getting in people's faces. But the wild thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm if I'm misremembering, please check me. Email me at quarterlyreport@gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show. Q U A R T E R L E E show. But I don't ever remember Giannis doing this to Marcus Smart, to either of the Morris brothers. You feel me? I don't remember him doing this to, you know, the dudes who really like that. The, the, the guys in the league, I don't remember Giannis doing this to Udonis Haslam. You, you feel me? Like there are certain players in this league who is that like, okay, 
I don't think anybody in the NBA is really just going to like go for it for real. But there's certain guys that I'm more inclined to believe would if they had a bad day, right? Mo Wagner is not that. <laughs> you understand? Like there's certain guys who you can try to get that off on. And when I see players who don't necessarily fit the kind of Oakley DNA, the, the Steven Jackson, Kenyon Martin DNA, and they want to run around like fake tough guys, like Kevin Garnett was that. And I love KG. KG is a phenomenal basketball player. But KG would, at some point in his career, he acted like, you know, he was Ben Wallace. And he wasn't. He never was. Like, KG running, ran around like he was the toughest dude in the league. He was never the toughest dude on his team. <laughs> and I'm starting to think like, yo, why is Giannis all of a sudden doing this? Because his first three, four seasons, he never did this. And now he's doing it all the time. So I'm starting to think like, yo, what happened to the smiley, fun-loving, happy-go-lucky Giannis, right? The Greek freak, right? The dude who was in dunk contest with the Greek flag and, you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where did that go? Because now you headbutted Mo Wagner in a bubble game right before the playoffs as the league's MVP. To me, and that's a psychoanalyze, but, you know, that's kind of what we do. I look at that, and the, and, the, and the first thing that comes to my mind, and again, I don't know nothing about nothing. I never talked to Giannis. I don't know anybody who covers the Bucks. I don't know anybody personally who, you know, none of that. None of that at all. But just, I don't know, kind of human nature. I'm looking at him, and I feel like, dog, the pressure may be getting to him. Because for someone to act so completely different than the way that they always do, it's just odd. There's no reason why Giannis, of all players, Giannis is now trying to position himself as a tough guy. Based upon what? Based upon what? Not your first years in this league. You was never looked that way. So what happened now? Like, you swole, you got muscles now and everything, cool. But, like, so what? LeBron never ran around like he was a tough guy. He was too busy carrying, being the face of the league, trying to win championships, building his legacy. Kobe, God bless the dead, he never was really on some tough guy stuff. He was just on some, like, dog, I'm the ultimate apex competitor. I'm not scared of anybody, but you never saw Kobe out here. Chris Childs. You feel me? Chris Childs. We all knew Shaq slapped Kobe. And again, God bless the dead. I don't even really want to talk too much about it because I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But my point is when you are the guy, you are the face of the league. When you are the number one dude, you don't even concern yourself about, oh man, telling the ref I'm about to fuck this dude. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Specifically right before the playoffs. Can you even imagine? Michael Jordan ran at Reggie Miller. Again, Reggie Miller. Michael was like fed up. And that one moment was so completely like when even even when you watch The Last Dance, right? The the documentary, the phenomenal documentary that happened a few months back. When you watch that episode and they and they relive it, 
you even it just seems so out of place from Jordan because when Jordan was again another ultimate competitor, shit talker, but was never on never never flustered enough that he was thrown off like that. Like you watch that Reggie Miller thing and you're like, damn, Reggie got under everybody's skin because that was part of Reggie. That that's part of what made Reggie so great. What the fuck about Mo Wagner? And again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but let's keep it funky. What about Mo Wagner's game? Gets You feel me? Like, come on, bro. Like, Michael Jordan would have never done that shit to fucking Hubert Davis. Or maybe Hubert Davis is the wrong analogy because they were, you know, went to Carolina. But you get the point, right? Like, Michael Jordan was above that. He wasn't doing that. Michael Jordan wasn't going headbutt motherfucking you know what i'm saying tim legler and again tim legler this is not to be disrespectful tim legler is far more productive far more talented than mo wagner mo wagner is in like his third year why is Giannis doing that why is Giannis jeopardizing his potential playoff right run because honestly that could have been a lot worse. Imagine if they suspended him for five games. Like, imagine, and they wouldn't, right? Because, again, he's the face of the franchise. But there's certain players in this league who just write up headbutt a player <laughs> when every single game is on television now during a pandemic. And you're just like, what? Did, what's happening? Like, where did this come from? Like, didn't even do anything to him, right? He probably, I mean, again, irritant. I'm sure he's being annoying, of course. But if I'm a Milwaukee fan and I'm seeing some of this, some of the behavioral changes from our franchise player, I am worried. Again, when Marcus Smart gets all up under Giannis and is talking and boom, 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 I've never seen Giannis come at Marcus Smart like that. Never. And you can go down the list. They're going to play Miami, more than likely. I've never seen. You think you're going to do that to Haslam? You think you're going to do that to Jimmy Butler? Because I don't. Not at all. If they play Philadelphia, you think you're going to do that to Joel? And Joel ain't he? Joel a fake tough guy, too. But I don't think Giannis is going to do that to him. This is my point. When you are the best player, the natural response is, okay, you're annoying me. Watch what I'm about to do to you. Like, watch this. Look at all the irritants. Right? The John Starks to Michael Jordans. The Matt Barnes, the Ruben Pattersons to Kobe. The Jason Terry, the Deshaun Stevenson to LeBron. The Paul Pierce to LeBron, right? Like, all those dudes who run their mouth, the best players, they like bet. Watch this. That didn't happen thus far to Giannis. And Giannis is still supremely young. And I'm not one of these people who are going to be like, oh man, Giannis, he has to show up, prove in the playoffs, or he's he's a fraud. He's a fraud, right? I hate how people, I hate how we use kind of any given, like whatever time like timeline that we want a player to to operate on if they then don't operate under that like time frame oh well it's over like we did that with lebron remember people were like oh lebron he'll never be great he can't he's not clutch he can't perform in the postseason 
And then now all of those same people, they don't say shit, right? People used to say that about Mike. Again, one of the great things about The Last Dance, they told you about all the people who were calling Jordan fraudulent. I'm glad that there are people who are, that we should be at a point where we're smarter to do that. But I know if the Milwaukee Bucks lose in the playoffs, hell, look at what they do to Harden. James Harden has played in the finals. James Harden has made multiple conference championships. But he's a, he's now looked upon as a guy who chokes in the playoffs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 90% of the league would die. 95% of the league would kill to have James Harden playoff resume. You understand? But nah, he hasn't went, went to the championship without Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook. So... He's a playoff failure. And I fear that that's going to be the moniker for Giannis, particularly if they don't make the finals this year. Like, he can lose in the finals, but if they don't make the finals this year, oh, my God, they're coming for Giannis. And I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's the pressure of impending free agency. I don't know if it's something personal. I don't know what it is. I have no clue. But this entire year, it's as if we are seeing a very different Giannis, and it doesn't feel authentic. And anytime stuff like that happens, it makes me wonder, because people just don't change their personality with for, for no reason. Especially, like, why would anybody who's as great of a player as Giannis is want to then be the, the, the goon, the tough guy? Like, why would you, you're better than that? Not to mention that nobody believes you. I don't know. If I'm a Buck fan, I'm a bit worried. Because he he literally rolled the dice right before the playoffs. Right before the playoffs. For what? Because Mo Wagner said something that hurt his feelings? Huh? I don't know. I'm interested in seeing how this plays out. Because... That's a crack in the armor. And if, I don't know, I'm from a different era. But if I were the Milwaukee, or I'm sorry, the Miami Heat, or the Boston Celtics, or the Toronto Raptors, and I can see how easily it is to manipulate Giannis's emotions to get him so thrown off that he's throwing headbutts in a game. Oh my gosh. I'm doing everything I can to get under his skin. Because he hasn't shown any amount of discipline this season to indicate that he understands that the most important thing isn't who's the toughest, isn't who generates the most ratings. For Giannis and that entire Milwaukee Bucks organization this year and and next year, it's all about one thing, and that's that Larry O'Brien trophy. And I got to tell you, man, looking at Giannis particularly this specific moment versus Mo Wagner, in addition to the other handful of moments that made me just kind of scratch my head and like, man, what's going on with him? It has me doubting very seriously how ready he is for prime time. But without a shadow of a doubt, it has me asking this. Angry man, holla at Giannis. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your motherfucking ass down. Let me know what you guys think, man. Am I making too much of a deal out of Giannis? I don't think I am. But I want to hear from you. Email me at quarterlyreport 
at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. Again, we spell it quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, the first quarter is in the books, but we're going to stay in the bubble with some of the most exciting basketball that I've seen in recent years that I don't want to continue. So our second topic this week. Second quarter. At the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man. And it was funny, this past weekend I tweeted this out as Portland eliminated Memphis on Saturday afternoon. And my homeboy Ian hit me up. He was like, oh, man, get off my lawn. But basically, I've seen so many people enamored with the idea of this play-in theory. And not just for this season, but moving forward, that the NBA adopt that if you are the ninth-place team, you can then challenge the eighth-place team who since the history of, well, not the history, but since the NBA has expanded to 18 playoff seeds, has been able to make it in advance to the postseason. But we would continue this idea that the ninth team could then challenge the eighth place seed. And if they were to win two games, they then take the spot of the eighth place team. Now this year that didn't happen, right? Because Portland was the eighth place team and they only needed to beat Memphis one time. So we we really didn't have any type of wild shakeup, though the past week, maybe week and a half of play of this this bubble intensity was tremendous basketball, right? Portland and Phoenix and the games with Memphis, like all the and, and even San Antonio, these teams were like fighting for this lap. Well, not even the last playoff spot, but for the eighth and the ninth seed. And it was intriguing, captivating. It was phenomenal. The drama was great. In the last few games of this season, particularly when it came to those teams, there was just there, there was the drama there could not be replica- replicated. So, of course, we're all like, yo, let's do this more. I'm just here to say let's chill before we jump to conclusions, right? And not jump to conclusions, but like make these broad sweeping changes because obviously this was a unique unique situation, right? I mean, the whole premise of bringing all these teams in was to try to get Zion and the Pelicans to get in the playoffs, give them every opportunity to make it. But all of these teams, when they were invited, it was what? within four games or within six games, something like that, right? So it was obviously close and Memphis just fell apart. So those two things, all of these teams were six games within. You needed to finish in within four. Memphis just had a nosedive. Phoenix was playing lights out basketball and then Dame Lillard was looking like fucking Michael Jordan. It was the perfect storm of events to get to Saturday, which was another phenomenal basketball game. But, man, too much of a good thing no longer is a good thing. Everything, the stars and the planets and the universe, everything was lined up for this to be a phenomenal stretch of basketball. But if we are going to adopt this same kind of blueprint moving forward, I just have one real question. And if you can answer this question, then I'll shut up, boom, and I'll enjoy the ride. 
But the question, I, I, while it's very simplistic, I don't think you can answer it. And the question is simply this. If we are going to expand or if we are going to give a team the opportunity to win two games to leapfrog the eighth seed, then why the fuck are we playing 82 games to begin with? Like the, Think about it. You're playing 82 games. And if you have a better record, you then have to play two more games. And if you lose those two, despite the fact that you may have won more during the 82, you're going home. How does that make sense? Honestly, how does that make sense? I have a better record than this team through 82, but they have the potential to beat my team by winning two games? The fuck? That don't make any sense. I'm sorry. And this is something that I felt for a while. First off, we all agree. We all agree. The regular season is too long. Now, they're not going to shorten the regular season because they make so much money, even though now... You would probably, maybe for the, the, this upcoming season, maybe another season after that, until they start bringing fans in the stands, I don't even know if they're going to be making money during the regular season. You feel me? And this is the shit that I love. Despite the fact that I don't agree with this kind of play-in tournament as is, I do love the fact that the NBA is thinking differently, thinking outside of the box. Because if you ain't going to do it right now, then you're never going to do it. Right now, you're not having fans in the stands. They don't know what, they may have multiple bubbles next to like uncharted territory right now. And because of that, throwing out ideas, trying new things, I'm all for. So, because I like to think of myself as a positive individual, I'm not going to sit here and bash the play-in theory. I'm going to actually use my platform to try to explain to you how to make the playing theory better moving forward. Because if anything, if we have learned anything through this tumultuous eight months of 2020, we have learned that when shit hits the fan, it is the perfect time to clean all of it up. You feel me? We've been loafing. For decades, centuries even, with some of the bullshit that's happening in this country. And it took all of this shit to happen at once for us to finally be like, you know what? It's probably time to clean up a bit. And we had, don't get me wrong, we haven't cleaned up shit yet. But we done put the motherfucking Mr. Clean, we done poured it into the bucket. You understand? We, we've bought the disinfectant wipes and the sprays and we have some new sponges and gloves. We are getting ourselves prepared to clean. So if we're doing this, if we're taking this analogy to the NBA, dog, yeah, we've been dealt a bad hand right now, but let's not focus on the negative. Let's try to flip it and see what we can do to turn this into a positive. And man, look, one of the first episodes of this podcast I had, I was like, dog, don't do the lottery anymore. Have a playing tournament for the, the, the lottery standings, right? And the lottery's coming up this week. And it's, it's, you know, it's cool. It's entertaining to see the ping pong balls. But imagine if there was a tournament where the teams who would win, right, you play for the number one pick. So it would dis, 
right? It would it would eliminate tanking because if you're going out of your way to have a bad to field a bad team, you're not going to then win the tournament for the number one overall pick. So it breeds and it feeds competition, which in my eyes, in any field, right? If it's a healthy, it's a, it's a if it's a healthy amount of competition that that pushes everybody forward, right? It 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 it, it creates uh it creates cre- it creates vision and and new ideas and different possibilities, and I think that's healthy if cultivated in the correct way. But you know what? Forget it. That's my personal idea. Whatever. You don't have to like it. But I'm going to give you my personal idea for the playing tournament. Or not tournament. In the bubble, the rule was if you finish within four games of the eighth place team, you get uh have a playing situation. That's ridiculous. Like if I'm four games better than you, you don't deserve to play me for one for for my spot. Cuz again, that devalues the entire regular season. And if you are comfortable devaluing the first 82 games of the year, then what you're ultimately saying to everybody, NBA fans, it's kind of like the unsaid agreement, right? We all know the regular season really doesn't matter in terms of who's going to win the championship. The NBA, unlike pretty much every, well, I shouldn't say that. The NBA is very different than the NFL in many regards, but this one specifically. You watch the NBA for the entertainment, which is why the players are so important in the NBA. The NFL you watch, maybe it's gambling, but ultimately for seeding, home field advantage, and who's going to win the Super Bowl, right? The regular season does matter in the NFL to where in the NBA it really doesn't. You just watch it to have fun and to entertain yourself, right? That's why, like, you can't even watch the NFL the way you would watch an NBA game. You know what I mean? Dude, you can watch an NBA game and you can be talking to your homeboys, playing music, you can do push-ups, whatever. Because you can just have, kind of have it in the background. And you're like, oh, did you see that? Boom, boom, boom. Well, football, you kind of like got to zone in in that joint. You know what I'm saying? And again, the two sports are so different, but... Uh, in this day and age, they kind of are leading the way when it comes to the big American sports. But I digress. If you are telling everyone outwardly, right, you're going to say the quiet part out loud now. Hey, guys, you don't really even have to pay attention to the regular season. Like, what do you think that does to the fan? And not the diehards like myself or maybe you who have fantasy basketball teams who are like paying attention to every player who are just like nerds like myself, who, who always are looking at certain players, the effective field goal percentages and true. Like most people don't do that. So if you're basically telling them, Hey man, <laughs> this shit don't matter. The last week of the season will be phenomenal. But all those Saturday night showcase games, I give a fuck about that. All I got to do is finish within four spots of the eighth place team. Nah, man, don't do that shit. That's lame. However, and this is what this is this is this is what I get in my bag, right? I am a huge proponent of, and this happens all the time. It used to happen all the time back in like the the mid two thousands, two thousand and tens. But I want to say it probably happened this year too. If a team in the Western Conference finishes with a better record than a team in the Eastern Conference, 
but that team in the Western Conference does not make the playoffs at the West, they can then play the Eastern Conference team in a best of three. Or you just have it a one-game single elimination, whatever the case may be. But then, like, so if Memphis played Orlando and Memphis beat Orlando, then Memphis would be the Eastern Conference eight seed. And then they would have to go through Milwaukee and whatever. So they would then just basically take the place of that Eastern Conference seed. Hell, this year probably would have been multiple teams, right? Uh, Memphis and Orlando and then Phoenix and or Memphis and Brooklyn and then Phoenix and Orlando, right? Because I think both of those teams had better records than them, but I could be wrong. And then you you just blow it all out because when you look at the Western Conference playoff matches and it's been like this forever, the Western Conference playoff matches are phenomenal. Even though we all feel that the Lakers will beat Portland, we're excited to see that series. How many of you are excited to see Milwaukee, Orlando? Nobody. Nobody. You excited to see Toronto and Brooklyn? No. Yes, maybe you're excited to see Boston and Philadelphia, but that's just because of the history of those two teams, those two cities, those two franchises, right? But with Ben Simmons hurt, I'm not even I'm not even really interested in seeing that for real. And then the only reason I think Miami Indiana would be a fun series, which has now been enhanced because of Jimmy Butler and T.J. Warren Warren is playing out of his mind. But if those two subjects weren't even apart, that has NBA TV series written all over it. And you know how that means. Like every year there's one series that's always on NBA TV. And that would probably be the one. Had it not be for Jimmy Warren or Jim, Jimmy Warren, Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren. But you get my point. Add some intrigue. Imagine how much more exciting the NBA Eastern Conference playoffs would be if Devin Booker had a chi- chance to go at Giannis. Like, we would be able to say, okay, well, let's see how good, like, this Phoenix Suns team, especially ain't knowing the bubble, having all of this momentum. Imagine if they had the opportunity to play Milwaukee as opposed to Orlando. Nobody gives a fuck. And if the idea for the play-in is to be like, you know what? We just want more excitement at the end of the year. Well, then there's a way to do that without saying to everybody, basically, hey, guys, forget what you saw for the first five months of this season. They don't, those games don't matter. I mean, again, we kind of already know that, but it's completely different when you start telling people our product is pointless because that's what you would be doing. Like, why have 82 games if you're going to say those games are not as important as 83 and 84? And it make any sense. I think if you finish one game behind someone in your conference, If it's one game, then you can play best two out of three. But if not, I'm all the way cool with teams who miss the playoffs in one conference who have a better record than teams who make the playoffs in the opposing conference have a chance to bump them out. Because then then you're basically saying, yo, what you do in the regular season absolutely matters. And not only that, we're then going to reward the fans. Like, look. We've seen Milwaukee and Orlando enough. Nobody cares 
Like nobody wants to see that. The Eastern Conference playoffs have for basically for like two decades now. In the first round, there's really one, maybe two series that anybody cares about. Because you know what's going to happen. Orlando doesn't have a shot. Here's how bad it is. I'm not saying Phoenix would have a shot to beat Milwaukee. And we just talked about Milwaukee in the first quarter. Phoenix doesn't have a shot, but they have a much better shot than Orlando. They're much more fun. Raise your hand, everybody outside of Orlando and outside of Phoenix. Who would you rather see play in a first-round series? Aaron Gordon, Nick Vucevic in Orlando, or Devin Booker and the boys in Phoenix? Everybody would rather see Phoenix play. And if Phoenix were to play Orlando in a, like, let's say they had this series or whatever, the sharp money would be on Phoenix. They're a better team. So, like, what are we doing? Memphis, look at all the teams in the Western Conference who are better than the bottom two teams in the East. Again, I understand Brooklyn's a bit different because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and a slew of other players didn't even make it to the bubble, right? But if we're going to just focus on Orlando, a team that's basically healthy, that's this is their roster. Everybody want to see that? So you are then rewarding the play the, the regular season. You are telling people this is why you need to pay attention to the regular season. So you can find out which team could then make and then this is the thing. If you're a Western Conference team, and maybe you're not, you know, you just maybe it's an injury that took you out, took you out, right? Maybe it was just, you know, a lot of change in the beginning of the season and it took you a while to kind of mesh and gel together, but you ended the season strong. Who's to say that you couldn't shake things up? I'm not, I mean, again, I don't think that the Suns would beat the Bucks, but man, I, I'm not certain that they wouldn't make, they wouldn't give the Bucks a run. And if they did, look at then how everything is exciting in that whole conference now. Because now Phoenix throws a whole different wrinkle into the equation. Look, I understand that it has been a fun time to watch playoff basketball, playoff intensity, and playoff light basketball. And the NBA deserves tons of credit because they needed something to reel us all back in. We hadn't been seeing basketball for months. I was I was very skeptical that we would get actually good basketball, quality basketball, because these guys haven't played, many of them, in months, haven't played together with some of their player or, player or teammates in that same amount of time. So the NBA deserves tons of credit for getting us interested and getting us intrigued into the playoffs with this phenomenal eight-game run. But let's not OD, right? Like, this was a great moment and an, a needed moment. But we can't try to replicate this in years, um, in, 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 in upcoming years, because what you're essentially doing is telling the world our regular season doesn't matter. And that, that, that just can't be a viable option for a billion dollar industry when the the buying public everybody's hurting right now and that can't be it 
It cannot be the solution. However, it does not need to be an open and shut case. There are ways to maneuver. And again, I love the innovation. I love the creativity. So I'm hoping that the NBA does try to try some new things next season. And maybe it works for, for years to come. But we can't be so lazy that we see the new toy and we just go chasing after it without any ramifications, without any thought into how it could impact the entirety of the league that we all love so much. So NBA, great job this season. And if you want to change the the playoff format, do it, right? Reward the teams with the best record. But you can't penalize teams who go 82 games with a better record because some other team is three games worse. It just doesn't make any sense. That can't be a viable solution. All right, you all, you have heard the horn, which means it is time for halftime this week. And halftime this week, it was another topic that came up regarding the NBA bubble, something that I talked about about two episodes ago. Sex in the bubble, right? We keep on making fun, like, Again, I'm I'm ready. I thought I we had a, a a very mature, serious conversation about this a few weeks ago. But every time I see people talk about it, they're giggling and laughing. And dog, I don't think it's funny. Dead ass. If I was in the bubble, I would want I, I would want to have sex with the people in my life. I would want to call my girl. I would want to do whatever. And the NBA this past week has kind of extended an olive branch to their players. They said, once you get past the first round, so all the dudes who was down there, everybody in the team, they were down there, right, for the eight games. Cool, y'all going home now. Y'all can have fun, do your thing, knock your socks off. And now we have the first round of the playoffs, and if you are a playoff team, you basically, it, it's an added incentive. Well, maybe not even that, right? Because some of these guys, you go home, you go ahead, handle your business. But if you continue past the first round, you are then allowed to bring significant others into the bubble. But dog, I still got a problem with how they're doing it because they are telling players that it's not somebody who you could have just met online. You can't jump in the DM, shoot your shot, you get your all net joint. Nah, she can't come. You have to actually provide proof that your guest is someone that you have had a a history with, physical history with. And it just got me thinking, man, what the fuck type of summer camp shit does the NBA trying to run? And I thought, man, what a great idea for halftime. Take a listen. Welcome to the NBA bubble TSA. Can you tell me which player your reservation is under your name and proof of face-to-face relationship. Hi, my name is Savannah James. I'm the wife of LeBron. My proof, well, here's our children. You've probably seen us everywhere. Well, maybe not everywhere, just TikTok. We're not the Currys. Of course, Mrs. James. We've been expecting you. We'll take your things, head on up to Suite 710, and enjoy your stay. Hello, welcome to the NBA Bubble TSA. Can you tell me which player your reservation is under? 
your name and proof of face-to-face relations. Hi, my name should be under Kyle Kuzma. My name is Callie Ka- I'm sorry, your name is what? Callie Capona. Here's my ID. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I thought you were someone else. <laughs> oh, yeah, and her and her entire family are on the no-fly zone list. Whew. Okay, where's your proof of face-to-face relationship? Um, does a selfie count? I'm sorry, ma'am. That's not going to be good enough. Uh, here's a receipt of my car in which Kyle paid for. Does that count? Damn, a Porsche? Shit, he's got that kind of money already? Well, they did say he be tricking a lot. All right, go ahead and enjoy your stay. Hello, this is the NBA Bubble TSA. Can you tell me which player your reservation is under and... I'm under Nick Young. Um, I'm sorry. He's not even in the league anymore, let alone the playoffs. My bad. That's my old work. Look, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, okay? I'm actually here to see six different guys, but none of them know about each other. So I would very much like to be as discreet as possible. Um, okay. Well, do you at least have any proof of a relationship? Of course. Here's my DMs. The first one, okay, he was thirsty as all hell. But when I saw his new contract, okay, I thought about it and I was like, "Mm, I guess it's kind of cute. Wait, 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 wait. My man was able to pull you with this bullshit? You know, we talked about this, like I said, a few episodes ago earlier in the show as well. Like, I appreciate that the NBA is now, and it even sounds weird to say that they are allowing the athletes, right? The the Players Association, the Players Union, and the, the league and the owners, they're partners. So the idea that the NBA is, quote, allowing adults to have company is insane to me. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yes, we understand that this is, these are, uh, unprecedented times, you know, and everybody's kind of got to chip in and do their part, you know what I mean, for a greater good, if you will. And the NBA, as, long, as well as the NBA or NHL and, you know, uh, the NWSL and so many of these other leagues who've gone and adopted this bubble approach, they've succeeded and they should be applauded for that, right? And I get that this could be difficult, but again, we can't treat these players, these millionaires, these professional athletes, they're professionals. We can't treat them like this is some lame-ass summer camp. Shout out to Salute Your Shorts. You feel me? Like, and this is the thing, that I, another part of it, right? So they've, they've done the thing where they're going to say, hey, if you, if you advance past the first round, you can have company, which is, you know, it's insane to me, but whatever. But then... Right. You have to show documented proof that you have face to face contact. This is a a relationship that you've had for a while. Long standing, I want to say, is the phrase they used. And I know why. You know what I'm saying? Like. Someone player A can be married and, you know, a shout out to all the, you know, to LeBron and his beautiful family and Savannah James. And to the Currys, the beautiful family of the Currys, we're just having fun on the show. I don't want anybody, I don't want Bay Area Warrior 
you know, 32, 34 getting mad at me in my mentions, you know what I'm saying? Talking about being disrespectful to, to the Curry's, you feel me? But a married player doesn't have to jump through loops to, to get, you know, their their spouse into the bubble. But a married player's, you know, personal desires are not greater than someone who's not married. So then you start doing this real nasty kind of, you know, picking and choosing and deciding who, whose, you know, relationship is valid and who's not. And that's, that's just a nasty game to play. Pull the curtain back a little bit, right? Me personally, I do not have the desire to be married. That's just me. I'm not, I'm, I think the, 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 the idea and the, and the institution of marriage can be a very beautiful thing. I know that it's just not cut out for me, right? But if I was in a bubble situation and my coworker who was married was able to bring his wife into the bubble and, you know, do what they got to do, whatever. But then I would have to jump through several hoops to get, you know, a friend in. Oh, yeah, we gonna have some problems. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. And again, call me old school, right? I'm 37. I have never uh, tried to book a woman through dms it's never happened to me like i don't i don't get down like that you feel me like if i see you like don't get me wrong if you put some pictures up on ig i'm gonna check them out but i'm not gonna jump in your dms to shoot my shot like i'm more so i see you hey excuse me boom 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 boom. that's how i get down right but it's 2020 a lot of these dudes are young and that's the only game they know shoot your shot in a dm whatever that's how that but that's the that's in 2020 Going in someone's DM is the same thing that back in 0205 going to the club. So if somebody meets someone shooting a shot in a in a in a DM, why would that not be valid? Right? That, why is that frowned upon? But if I met you, you know, at a bar and we actually saw each other face to face again, that's that's how I would do it. But like I'm not so staunch in my kind of old manisms that I can't see that the game has evolved. Most of these dudes, that's how they get in a lot of these youngies. Just boop and whatever, whatever, how, if dog, you like it, I love it. But again, the NBA is now somehow sitting as if there's some judge, jury and executioner determining what is the, the correct way or what's the appropriate way or what's the way that will grant, will grant you access if you met this person this way, but not that. And that's just a real, real ugly way of doing things, man. I, I I don't even know how they came to that conclusion. I don't know how Michelle Roberts and the union signed off on it. But, you know, I, I'm not going to be the mama who's more upset about it than the NBA players are. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if they cool with it, whatever. I just know from me, hell nah, Slim. Don't tell me that, man, I wish my coworker would bring his wife in. And I'm trying to bring my, you know what I'm saying, little little pretty beautiful young lady into my bubble. And they like, nah, Slim, you ain't know her long enough. Man, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let me live, Joe. But whatever. I'm glad some of the players are able to kind of get that relief. Win another playoff series. And then you can finally, you know, relax. Get light on your feet. You feel me? <laughs> all right, y'all. That is halftime. Hopefully you all enjoyed it as much as I enjoy producing it. But the show must go on, and we have two quarters left. The whole other half, 
before this show is over. So without further ado, let's get it going right now with our third topic this week. Third quarter. Last week, I spoke about teasing uh, a, a quarter focusing on LeBron and like through the good and the bad, kind of an appreciation of what LeBron James is and what he means to this league and this era, both on the court and off. And it last week it was going to stem on the comments that LeBron James made talking about how, you know, uh, no one said it could be done, you know, him winning the number one seed in the Western conference and part of, and I'm, I'm a huge LeBron fan, but Unlike a lot of people who who love LeBron, I'm able to acknowledge like when LeBron says or does really really dumb shit. <laughs> like Slim, nobody was questioning you. In fact, you were the favorite to come out of the West, if not win the entire championship before the season started. So do whatever it is you got to do to kind of rev yourself up. Me against the world, boom boom, whatever. If that's what you need to do to get yourself focused for the postseason run, do you. But we still going to get our jokes off, right? But just like we we can't tell the story of LeBron without talking about some of the missteps that he has made when it comes to speaking or some of the actions that he's done, China being one of the biggest ones also recently this season. We also have to make sure we look at the totality of this man's playing career and like, Ear, <laughs> this dude is doing stuff that we have never seen. And earlier this past week, or I'm sorry, late last week, excuse me, I believe it was Jason McIntyre who, you know, he caught some heat because it's kind of clickbaity, clickbaity, excuse me. And he was tar- basically comparing LeBron to Kawhi and how Kawhi left Toronto and the Raptors are playing phenomenal. So it's somehow an indictment on Kawhi. And that's trash, right? And I'm paraphrasing. There's a little bit more context to his piece. But again, it was a way to kind of build up LeBron and the Lakers while kind of, you know, taking some of the air away from Kawhi and the Clippers. And that's, you know, that's that's where we are in today's NBA kind of world. But I do think he hit on a really, really valid argument. And again, I don't really like doing the LeBron, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem list. That's not what we do in this show. But it got me thinking. And again, I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. I personally think Kareem is number two. But if you wanted to say LeBron is number one, go for it. If you wanted to say Kareem was number one, go for it. Hell, if you wanted to tell me that Wilt Chamberlain was the best player of all time, I'm listening. I think those four players specifically, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Wilt, there's not a real, there's no real significant distance between the four. So however you want to rank them, those four specifically, I'm cool. But I want to hear your argument, right? If you wanted to tell me that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, I agree with you. But I want to hear your argument because the people who reduce Jordan to just arithmetic, they do him a disservice. And once I hear someone say that, I'm like, ah, yeah, get away. You, 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 you're weakening the case. If you think LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, cool. I'm all ears because I do think that there's a legit case. 
But unfortunately, more times than not, when I hear people talk about LeBron and his legacy and they build up his resume in terms of the best player of all time, you know, they give you the statistics and the statistics are what they are. They speak for themselves. But he started playing in 18. And that's a testament to his physical condition, conditioning, uh, a testament to his durability, the whole nine. But I'm not really big. Again, stuff that we already know if you listen to the show. I'm not big on counting stats. So if you're telling me that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time and you're just telling me all of these accumulation stats, that's the reason why, I'm good. But I think I have the case. If you wanted to say LeBron James is the best, I think this is the way you would go. Now, again, in my opinion, LeBron James has kind of forfeited the right to be called the best, and this isn't fair. It's not. But, damn it, splitting hairs is splitting hairs. And, again, between Jordan, Wilt, Kareem, and Breezy, like, you have to split hairs, in my opinion. I think it's that close. And what I saw LeBron do in the Dallas Mavericks finals I still can't wrap my mind around that. I I, I, I could not, um, when I was watching the games, I was thinking like, dog, what are you doing? What's happening here? You know? And I, despite the fact that he's been so great, even before that series and obviously after, I can't get that out. I don't think any other legit top tier great player does that. In the finals, nonetheless. Against, you know, J.J. fucking Barrera. I don't know what was going on. So to me, that's what, that's the number one reason why I can't have him number one. But if you wanted to have him number one, and I and I think that this is a really compelling case and argument, and I want to hear what you guys think about it, hit me up on email at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. Dog, look at the players LeBron has won with. And I know everybody always likes to say, oh, LeBron, he created the super team, which isn't true. Look at the big three Celtics. But LeBron, he created the super team, and he goes and he picks and chooses his players. And la, 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 la. Well, let's, let's look at these quote-unquote super teams that LeBron James has played with. We'll see what the Lakers do this year, but I think, actually, I don't even think it's really an argument anymore that Anthony Davis is the best player that LeBron James has ever played with at the time. Okay, because we get we get caught up when we say Dwayne Wade is the greatest player that LeBron James has played with. And when you look back in the history books, of course, Dwayne Wade is greater than any other of LeBron James's teammates. But when LeBron was playing with Dwayne Wade, we weren't getting all time great Dwayne Wade. We got him maybe for two years, definitely for that first year, the year they lost, mind you. And a little bit during the second year. But those last two years in Miami, Dwayne Wade was not the great Dwayne Wade. If Dwayne Wade's career was built consistently off of those last two years in Miami, no one would look like if that was what we got from Dwayne Wade. If you kind of project that over a 13 or 15 seasons, right? Those stats, those numbers. He's not a Hall of Famer. Dwayne Wade was not playing at Hall of Fame levels for half of the time that he was playing with LeBron. And I think that oftentimes we lose sight of that. And I want to put a pin on Dwayne Wade for a moment because we're going to go look at all of the players that LeBron James has played with during these quote-unquote super team years. And let's start with 
you know, again, we're going to leave Dwayne Wade out for a second. So let's start with Chris Bosh. And I will just simply ask you this, because I think Chris Bosh is a phenomenal basketball player. He's great. He made an ultimate and a huge sacrifice when he went down to Miami to play for the big three. But think about it. They had so much success by asking Chris Bosh to do less. They didn't ask Dwayne Wade to be less of himself. And remember, in that Maverick series that we talked about earlier, Dwayne Wade, and actually I think it was um, Fisdale, he had an interview recently where he was like, D-Wade talked to him, and he was like, I have to tell LeBron that this is his team now. Because during that series, a lot of what was happening was that LeBron was deferring to Dwayne Wade when they needed LeBron to excel. Like, Wade was not better than LeBron. So if the best player is kind of taking a step back, well, Miami showed you that they can't win if LeBron is deferring, if we're getting less than what LeBron is giving you. But they also showed you that they needed Chris Bosh to take less of himself. So what does that say? Think about that. That team, to succeed, they needed less. They needed Chris Bosh to take a back seat. You don't ever ask your best players to do that. You think the Lakers are asking Anthony Davis to take a back seat this season? Hell no. Nah. You think the Milwaukee Bucks, we talked about Giannis earlier. You think they saying, dog, Giannis, chill out, bro. We don't need you to be your best. We need you to be like on seven. We need you to scale things back. Huh? Every great team is asking their best players to give us more. Yet Miami was asking Chris Bosh to give us less. What does that tell you? While you think of that answer, let me ask you another question. How many playoff, forget series, how many playoff games did Chris Bosh win before he played with LeBron? How many games, not series, because he didn't win any series. How many games in the postseason did he win before playing with LeBron? It's unfair to Chris Bosh because we can't ask the question, how many games did he win post-LeBron? Because, you know, he had the injury, the blood clot injury. But while you still are thinking about those answers, and don't hurt yourself, it's not that many. Let's then move to the Cleveland big three, right? It was Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. And so many people want to say, oh, my gosh, LeBron James needed Kyrie. And Kyrie was the clutch. And it was not Batman and Robin. It was... Iron Man and, and, and Captain America. And there was no beast player. It was two two leading men. So I'll ask you the same question. How many playoff games did Kyrie win before playing with LeBron? Here's a quick hit, quick hint. He never made the postseason. So of course the answer is zero. Kyrie Irving was never a winner, never smelt the postseason. Po- uh, postseason in the Eastern Conference before playing with LeBron James. Not once. Then he plays with LeBron. They go to what? Four straight finals. So then let me ask you this other question. What has Kyrie done in the postseason post-LeBron? Hmm. Now you're starting to see where I'm going at, right? Kyrie Irving has been called a malcontent, a, a locker room cancer, Teams have played better once he's left. Look at Boston. Boston was happy that he left. He goes to Brooklyn. He's already throwing teammates under the bus. 
Karis LeVert is playing so much better now that Kyrie's not gone. Now that Kyrie's not playing. Think about it. None of that was happening in Cleveland. And while Boston went to the conference championship while Kyrie was on the team, he did not play one second in that playoff series. And then the next year, when he came back, they got bumped in the first round. Think about that. Think about that. Kyrie is looked upon as a malcontent now. But when he was playing with LeBron, he's somehow this ultimate basketball player. And I'm not going to knock Kyrie's game on the floor. Kyrie is one of the most exciting basketball players I've ever seen. But there is something missing. I think it's fair. Because Kyrie post-LeBron isn't what you do, what you need for a championship team. Mm -mm, Not at all. But yet, when he's playing with LeBron, he comes up with all these big-time, big-moment shots. Well, yeah, that's cool, but if you, you can't get to the big moments if you aren't consistent, whether it's with your health, whether it's your mentality, your play, or your relationships with your teammates. And so let's move to this other player of the Cleveland Big Three, Kevin Love. And this is not going to take very long. What the hell has Kevin Love done before playing with LeBron or after playing with LeBron? You guessed it. Not a motherfucking thing. No need to waste time. And I like Kevin Love. Phenomenal basketball player. He hasn't done shit without the four seasons when he was playing with LeBron. So we do this whole thing. This whole thing about LeBron James and wow, he's got all these super teams. Really? I don't look at that as super teams. I look at it as like, dog, jump on my back and I'll make you look like you real super. Right? You Steve Rogers. Without the elixir, you playing with me, I give you the super serum. Once you gone, nah, you back to being little Steve Rogers getting your ass kicked. That's what it is. And now we'll go back to Dwayne Wade because we talked about Chris Bosh, we talked about Kyrie Irving, and we talked about Kevin Love. Dwayne Wade is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, not taking anything away from him. He is a finals MVP, first ballot, future Hall of Famer. But again, half of the time when he was playing with LeBron, he was not that type of a player. He was good, sometimes a little bit above average, but overall, those four years, he was a very good player. You take away those first two years, eh, those numbers get real ugly to look at. But this is the question I want to ask you. When LeBron left Miami, what happened to the Heat? They were lottery bound. Even with Dwayne Wade, future Hall of Famer. What happened when LeBron left Cleveland the first time? despite the fact that they won the lottery three times, including getting Kyrie Irving. That's right. Missed the playoffs every year. And what happened to Cleveland the second time when he left, despite the fact that they still had Kevin Love, all-star, multiple times over. They still haven't been to the playoffs since. LeBron James impacts winning on a level that we have never seen. I'm going to say that again. Because this is not hyperbole. I'm not throwing any sauce on this. I've already told you I don't think LeBron is the greatest basketball player of all time. So I have no agenda. But this is the argument. 
LeBron James impacts winning in a way that we have never seen in the history of the NBA. And you Jordan fanatics, I can hear you already. And I'll ask you this. When Michael Jordan retired, how the fuck they win 55 games, bro? There is no team, no team that has had LeBron James. And LeBron has left multiple teams. He's left Cleveland twice. They haven't sniffed 40 games, let alone 55, 54 LeBron leaves the team, they're lottery bound. Michael left the Bulls the first time, they still won 50 plus games and was one game away from the conference championship. Bulls fans to this day will tell you that Hugh Hollins, God bless his soul, he cost them a chance to go to another finals because, you know, those Knicks boys had to put that whooping on them. You know what I'm saying? But Bulls fans will tell you that's why they lost because of Hugh Hollins. But it's not just MJ. When Bird retired, the Celtics still went to the playoffs. When Kareem retired, the Lakers went to the finals. When Magic retired, they went to the playoffs. When Duncan retired, the Spurs went to the finals, not the finals, the playoffs. And now you go back to Jason McIntyre's piece, right? Kawhi leaves Toronto. Toronto gets better. I'm not knocking Kawhi for that. The, the Raptors are a phenomenal organization. I made a tweet the other day. I still can't believe the Spurs traded Kawhi to Toronto and didn't get Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, or Fred Van Vliet. They didn't get any of their three best young players. They got DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Portal, and a first-round pick that was the 30th pick in the draft for Kawhi Leonard, one of the three to five best players in this league. Huh? I'm not knocking Kawhi. Because Toronto is a phenomenal organization. Masai Ujiri, we've sung his praises for years here on this show. Best general manager in basketball. So I'm not knocking Kawhi. It's a testament to LeBron because there's no team that LeBron has ever played for that could withstand him leaving. Despite the quote-unquote super team that he orchestrated. Because we saw what happened with Chris Bosh before and after. We saw what happened with Dwayne Wade before and after. We're seeing what's happening with Kyrie Irving before and after. Kevin Love is a wasteland right now in Cleveland before and after. You tell me. You tell me. No player in this league has the impact. You get LeBron on your team, you are an instant title contender. The moment you lose him, welcome to the lottery. It's that simple. And no other player in this league, not Shaq. Shaq left, you know, Shaq left Orlando. And Orlando was in a bad way. Oh, I'm sorry. No, they weren't. They were only in a bad way until Penny was hurt as well. Shaq left Los Angeles. Los Angeles had one bad year. And then two years later, they were in the finals. Three years later, they started a back-to-back championship. Duncan, nope. Bird, nope. MJ, nope. Magic, nope. Kareem, nope. You're starting to sense a pattern, aren't you? LeBron is a one-of-one in that regard, man. And yeah, he says some dumb shit. He says a dumb shit all the time, unfortunately. But hey, who doesn't? 
I'm sure if I were to listen back to this podcast that I voluntarily put out into the world, I would say, I would listen and hear a bunch of cringeworthy things that I literally said. We all are like that, right? So you can knock LeBron. You could be annoyed with LeBron. I get it. I do. And he's been in the spotlight since a teen, since high school, sophomore year. And a lot of that he brought on himself, right? But I think if we're being fair, he's passed with flying colors, even with the missteps along the way. And while I don't think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, I'd be damned if I say he don't have a hell of a case. I want to hear your guys' thoughts, though. Where do you think LeBron James ranks all time? And do you like the argument that he impacts winning more than any single player in the history of this league? Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. We spell it Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email the show quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, three quarters are now in the books, which means, you know, we're down to our last topic where we're heading to the gridiron. So our fourth topic this Fourth quarter. You know, this year has been, I mean, whatever adjective you want to use to describe 2020, it probably fits, right? Exhausting, frightening, um, controversial, depressing, you know, I mean, whatever, fill in the blank, throw whatever word you want to use to describe this year. And it would be more times than not 100% accurate. It just, this year has just been so wild, right? There's no way any of us, December 31st, 2019, could have predicted anything that happened this year, honestly. But because we've been kind of underneath this cloud of darkness, when the inspirational stories hit, man, they it's like, remember the old books, Chicken Soup for the Soul? Dog, it just gives your insides like this just warm feeling of like comfort. And we want so much more of it. Like it's like tapping the veins, dog. Like we've, we've been burdened with so much heaviness right like just so much depressing news and 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 saddening and upsetting right day after day it's almost it's it's literally like you're just drowning in 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 sorrow so when we get inspirational stories it's it's not enough we want more and similar to what we were talking about in the second quarter right with the play-in theory because We've, if you want to kind of change the focus a bit, trivialize it a bit, right? We've had such negative um, sports news, right? Or sports decisions. We may not even have college football this year. So when we do get something that we do like in the sports world, i.e. the playing game, oh, give me more, give me more. Not knowing, right? It's kind of like, yo, you just had this donut. That's so delicious and you want to eat it again and eat it again. And then, you know, after you do so for a few days, you realize, oh, shit, man, look at my gut. Oh, man, I feel like crap. Like, you know, sometimes the in the moment, because we are fixated with this 
this pleasure, this happy sensation. We want more. And if you do, if you indulge in that instant feeling, that instant gratification, man, you, you got to be careful because sometimes, right, behind that glorious sensation, that amazing feeling, if you keep on going down that path, man, it's oftentimes it's a rough, it's a, it's a rough conclusion, right? It's a, it's a, it's a dead end, pardon the phrase, but it's a, it's a, it's a dark alley. You know, and I bring all of this up because in the, just a few days ago, Alex Smith, the quarterback for the Washington football team, passed the physical, passed the sports physical. And this is a week after or so his doctor said, you know what? He's ready to play. He's all clear. And this is a great story. D don't get me wrong. This is a phenomenal story. And Slim, we need them. I'm not going to lie. We need stories of inspiration. Dog, I know there's been plenty of times when, hell, I even talk about like doing this show. There have been times in the past, I'm like, oh man, I don't know. Should I keep on doing it? You feel me? Like for real, dead ass. And I'm sure in some aspects of all of our lives, there's something that we enjoy something that we want, but it's hard or sometimes it's frustrating. And, you know, sometimes you're just like slim. You know what? I just don't even know if I want to keep on going. I would imagine a lot of people in relationships. That's how it feels as well. And it's just like, you know what? I think this is it for me, man. I think this is it. I don't know if I want to keep on chasing this. I don't know if I want to keep on working at this. I don't know if I want to keep on trying to make this work with her or him or whatever. Right. And I think that's something that we all can relate to. And because 2020 has been such a, a constant kick in the fucking nuts, when you see Alex Smith and then we all saw what was the Project 11, the E60 piece, the phenomenal uh, documentary on Alex Smith and his injury and his road to recovery, his near death experience like this is real. And the fact that he kept on fighting and he didn't quit. And now his dream, I mean, forget about football for a moment. He was fighting for his life. That's not any sight. I'm not sizing that at all. A lot of people before that E60 series, they probably did not know. But living in this area, you we all vividly remember these stories that were coming out. Like, yo, this was around the holidays. You know, he, little ch like it was it was scary. Forget about him ever walking again. We're just talking about him living. Then when he got past that, man, can he walk? Can he run? Again, small uh, father. And just like that now, he's ready to play football. And it's an amazing story. I do not want anyone to hear this quarter and think I am trying to ruin a phenomenal story because that's not this at all. Alex Smith's journey is something I think we all can pull from. And in a year, in, in, in seven and a half months, really, of just negative story after tragic tragedy, after negative story, after depressing story, after tragedy, Slim, we all can pull from Alex Smith. And, you know, round of applause to him, his doctors, his family, 
there's, there's not enough words that I know at least that I couldn't shower him, that I could properly shower him and his team with praise. That being said, there is no way, there is no way anyone, and this is my opinion, I don't know shit about shit. I have not seen his medical records or I do not know how strong his leg is. I don't know anything about anything. But Slim, I find it hard to believe that anybody who cares about this man would allow him to play football competitively on the NFL level again. Especially at that field, but even even regardless, how do you get that close to losing it all? How do you how do you wake up every day with the idea the potential of not having your leg? And then I get it as a driving force. And again, I don't want this to come off as me taking shots at him or his team. That's not it, man. But I see this and I'm just thinking, man, we doing too much. This is a great story. This story is a great story. Do not continue down the path, right? Where you, you, you're going down, you're in the woods, you're at the park, you know, and you're looking at the beautiful trees and you're looking at the flowers and everything looks beautiful. You just keep on going down that path and then the trees start getting a little bit ugly. You know, the, 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 the road, the pathway starts showing cracks and, you know, it's not as clear. And before you know it, you smack dab in the forest, man. And you got ticks and you got possums and foxes and all types of other stuff. And you looking around like, oh, this, this, we've, we've gotten to the danger zone. Let's know when to, to, to end the story. Because again, on a, on a much trivial, on, on a much lighter uh, note, right? When we talked about the playing, know when you have a good card. Know when you have a good hand. Know when you, and, and know when you don't. Know when you have a good enough hand and then know when you're like, you know what? This is enough for me. Because it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to, to imagine, to envision this amazing, this beautiful, this inspirational story just like that turning into another awful one. You know, it does not take much. I understand why Alex Smith would want to play football. He probably has used this as fuel for him to get back. This is the thing that he has looked upon as his North Star to recovery, right? I want to get back to the NFL. I want to play again. I want to get back on the field. This is what I want to do. And damn it, I'm going to do everything in my power every day to rehab, to keep my uh, spirits high, and to fight to get myself back to where I was before this injury. And I commend him. They got doctors saying that he can't walk straight right now, bro. It, it, this can't, like, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, 
these 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 reports and these stories and these quotes and I'm thinking to myself we can't be this foolish we cannot be this foolish to allow this man who I get it from his perspective I do he wants to play and he's going to do everything in his power to play because he's still a young man he feels as if that he's probably had years of his career taken away he feels as if he can contribute. And this has been probably, a, like I said, a motivating factor to fuel him through what has had to have been a grueling and a hellacious uh, rehab stint. It had to have been. And this has been one of the few things to fuel him every morning when his body hurts, when his spirit is probably down, to keep on getting up and fighting to get to this moment. I get that from him, which is why other people have to be like, Alex, forget about your career. Slim, we almost lost you. And you, we can look at it however you want to. If you want to do kind of macro and like, yo, you are a family man. We want you here. We need you here. Or you can break it down X's and O's just from a logical, from a, football, a strictly football perspective we talked about the field at fedex we know what time it if you've paid any attention to this team you know their home game their home field is strapped look at the number of quarterbacks who have damaged their legs for this organization and i know joey theisman it didn't happen at fedex i get that but let's you want to look at some more recent ones look at their offensive line Think about the style of play that Alex Smith has played. You think that after two years off and he's trying to come back, he's just going to play a completely different way? No, this is the way he plays. And for this team, he's going to have to move around. And I don't think I'm being some, uh, you know, I don't think I'm fear mongering. I think I'm being a realist. I think I'm being a realist at 100%. This is this is beyond dangerous. This is reckless. Someone, someone has to talk to him, pull him aside like Slim. This is not it. You're we're paying you regardless. And I understand you want to get back on the field. I get it. But we can't have it happen. It is too risky. You came this close from losing it all. And when I say all, I literally mean it all. And you have done a phenomenal job. You, it has been a great story. One of the best stories in sports recent history. And I commend him, man, but it's a fine line between triumph and tragedy. It is a very, very fine line. And I cannot Think of a worst, a worst idea for this football team who, if you've been paying attention, they've been breaking story. I mean, they've been trying to get up out of this cloud of just awfulness that has existed and just kind of has sat over this organization for decades. They've been trying to pull themselves up into a respectable light. And, you know, I don't even like talking about it like that because, again, that trivializes the legit since the, the severe nature of this, this man literally, I'm not being hyperbolic. He almost lost his life. 
playing for this god-awful organization. And now, after flipping it around and fighting and scratching and clawing his way back to this, where doctors are now saying they don't know if he can walk straight again. We think it's a good idea to put him in cleats on that trash field behind that awful line in, a, in one of the most violent sports to do it all again? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I, I don't know what else to be. I don't know what else needs to be said. You know, is this truly a decision that we're thinking about? Remove him from the equation. I understand why he wants it. Again, respectfully. I get that. But the rest of us, come on. What are we doing? How are we entertaining this? How is this even an idea? How hasn't this been shot down? By the people in the position of power. How? We do a lot of... And the, the, the chasing of wins leads us down a really ugly path oftentimes. You're seeing it in college sports. You're seeing it in high school sports, right? The, 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 just the chase of wins. If we just strip all of it away, and just look at it from an from a logical position, from a position with integrity. How on earth are we entertaining this? You know, I'm a huge fan of Alex Smith. By all accounts, this man has he has handled adversity, and I'm not talking about like the real, real adversity that he's just gone through. What's about professional? Right, adversity at every turn, and he has done so with class and professionalism. By all accounts, I don't know him, but by all accounts, everyone raves about the man and the player and the teammate that he is. Doesn't he then deserve that same type of uh, that class and the professionalism and teammates and the and the care that he's given throughout his career? Doesn't he then deserve someone pulling him aside like Slim? Come on, bro. I understand where your mind is at right now. And I know why you want this. But this isn't what this isn't it. This is a a goal that you have put into your head. Right? And oftentimes we put something into our minds, or oftentimes it's our hearts. We then elevate, we make something so much bigger than what it really is. And if you were to ask Alex Smith. Like what means more running up and down with your children, chilling with your wife or getting back onto this field for a team that may not win six games this year. I know playing and making it back has mean something to you because you needed it to get to this point. But now that you're at this point, does it really even matter? I'm not an athlete. So, you know, my perspective is completely different than one that somebody who has fought. I mean, you know, one of the elite athletes of the world, like former first overall pick in the NFL draft. You know what I mean? Professional quarterback played in the NFC championship. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call it, we know what time it is with him. So I get it. 
But I'm also like, come on. And I think at some point, reason. I hope, I shouldn't say a thing. I hope. I hope at some point, reasonable people, reasonable people can get to Alex Smith and be like, dog, this ain't it. You've already won. You have won already. Know when to put the pen down and then close a chapter of your life. Because this story, your story, your journey, while it's so important to you and your family, and I am not trying to minimize or diminish that, this year, your story means so much more than you could ever imagine. Because we, we, as a sports culture, sports society, dog, we need this win desperately. I want to know what you guys think, man. Do you think that he should go all in? Do you think the team owes him anything to kind of pull him aside and say, nah, this ain't it? I want to hear your thoughts about any and everything that is on your mind, sports, entertainment, or maybe something in the middle. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Or if there's another way that you know how to get in contact with me, man, shit, go ahead and do that too. All right, I want to thank each and every one of you all for spending some time with me this week. I want to make sure everybody stays safe. Wash your hands, wear your damn masks, and make meet me back here next week for another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Y'all take it easy.